good morning, good morning. Now, I, I, I think I need to give you a disclaimer. I meant to do it just a moment ago. Why I'm sitting up here um, and <laughs> is because I can't do the stairs today. I tried and I actually, uh, it was unsuccessful. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. So I've got to start up here and I'm going to have to end up here today. Once everybody's gone, then I'm going to find my way down the stairs so nobody can see. It's So my back is is hurt. So that's... Uh, that's why. So just wanted to, I usually don't stay up here. I feel so out of place not getting to come and say hi to you face to face. This has real, been difficult for me this morning, but after all, it's not about me. So um, this week we are in, as we're looking through the misadventures of fire britches, we are in uh, chapter number three of a four chapter book. And your integrity, my integrity, Scott's already mentioned that. Um, our, that, that is uh, the story that we're writing in our own book. This happens to be my, The Misadventures of Firebritches. Um, and you're writing your story. Hopefully it's not Misadventures of Firebritches. Um, your integrity, my integrity, these are all the stories. Uh, one decision at a time, we're writing this story. One choice at a time, one priority at a time, one relationship at a time, we're writing our own stories. And one of the important concepts is none of our stories begin with a blank page. This is so important. I, I am not writing my story without help. In fact, Paul, in the letter that he wrote to the Romans, we talked about, Cole talked about this here last week. I talked about it last week in Stuttgart. When Paul wrote this letter, um, he told us, he said that every single one of us, whether, whether we are following Jesus or not, Every single person, in fact, in life, has a start in their story. We have a beginning place that has already been written for us. Um, God began all of our stories by writing something, as he described, writing something in our hearts, writing something into our life story. God gave us the start of that. Um, and it is so undeniably um, present that we all have this starting place, this inside of our, our head, inside of our heart, we have this ought to, you know, I ought to do this. I ought not do that. It's there. It's written into our story. We cannot get away from that. This voice that kind of nudges us in a direction. Paul says, we all have that already written into our stories. And it kind of tells us what to do in any given situation. Now, it's amazing. When we choose to ignore that voice, that nudge, that thing that has already been written in our lives, in our hearts, when we choose to ignore that, we develop this tension, tension in our lives, in our thoughts, in our hearts that we cannot escape. It is there because so very often what I ought to do I don't do. And what I ought not do, I find myself doing. And we know this. Even when we don't do what we should be doing, we know this. It is in our lives. That voice and that tension is created. We can't get away from it. Integrity is uh, an interesting thing. While I and, and you, while we expect integrity from the people around us, we have a tendency to give ourselves a break. We expect it from other people. We kind of give ourselves a pass. 
And although sacrificing my integrity is an individual decision that I make when that happens, that decision is not uh, in isolation. In other words, it is not something that just affects me. Because you know this, when I fail, my load, when I fail in my integrity, my load that I should be carrying and taking care of, when I fail in my integrity, that is passed to somebody else. That load transfers to another person. They end up having to carry my load. And, and, and that, that damages our relationship and it can hurt them. And I, and I tell you what, um, you find yourself, if you're having to carry my load that I should be carrying, you find yourself in my story. You find yourself in my bad story and you can't get out because you're forced to carry my load. You're kind of trapped in my bad story. You're caught in my bad story. You see, being people of integrity, which means that we do the right thing simply because it's the right thing to do. It's not easy. We all know this. It's not easy because it's not natural, this side of the garden for sure. And it's not natural, especially if doing the right thing is going to cost us something, which is why we said last week, we really need a guide. We really need a compass to help direct us in the right direction, to also help us when we have that nudge from deep down inside that God has already written in there. We need a compass to help us move in that direction. And so here's the way King Solomon put it. Uh, in the book of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 11, verse three, here's what he wrote. The integrity of the upright, that's a key word there, upright. We're coming back to that. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness, another key word there, the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. We have this picture that Solomon is giving us, and I love this. This is what we call a word picture as we're studying through uh, the scriptures. Sometimes we have word pictures. So this word is giving us not just a description of the word, it's giving us, and Paul, this was intended here, I'm sorry, by the, the, by the writer of Hebrew, intended, not Hebrews, by the Hebrew writer named Solomon in, in the Hebrew scriptures. It was intended to give this picture. And so the Hebrew word used for upright, here's what that elicits. It, it gives us this picture that the person with integrity, have you ever been told by a teacher or a parent to, hey, straighten up, right? We've all been told that before. Straighten up, straighten up. That's what this means. It, it's, it's as if you're being told uh, that the person of integrity is going to straighten up and pay attention. And almost quite literally, that picture in the mind from that Hebrew word says that they're going to stand upright. And in doing so, your head is going to be up, your body is going to be upright, your head is upright, and you're looking further down the road. That's that picture. We talked about that last week. If you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. It, it's a beautiful picture that, that we have painted here in Scripture. So your integrity and my integrity, um, it's going to uh, be helped along by this compass that we have. And this compass, as the writer here says in Proverbs, is this verse 
God, the upright, the integrity of the upright. In other words, they, they're sitting up straight. They're paying attention to what's further down the road. It's this specific posture. The posture of being upright, as opposed to the posture that he says the uh, of the crooked. And so it's not really a crook, you know, like someone who's stealing something. It's, it's, it's think again of this posture as opposed to upright, as opposed to crookedness. Twisted is another way to describe that. The head is now twisted down. And the picture is you're looking right here, right in front of your feet at that next step. So the upright's looking further down the road, and then the crooked here, they're looking at just right now, as if what I do right now has nothing to do with what might happen to me later down the road. Oh, this is such a key concept. This is a beautiful picture. And also that crookedness of looking down, while it's not like a crook stealing something, it is like kind of a, a, a sly person covering something up hiding something. Wow. How many times have I found myself in my life not being upright, making my decision, uh, uh, looking down the road, down the path? How is this going to impact me? And instead, looking right here, right now, this is the here and now. This is just now. What The contrast that Solomon gives us. And you know what happens? It, we talked about last week, when I look at just right now, that is the moment that I end up when I do find that I make a mistake because I did just look at right now. I didn't look further down the road. I do have to kind of cover up and I do have to kind of hide. I do have to disguise what I have done so other people don't really know, oh, I really blew it. Wow. What all of that hidden within those two words. I, I love that. Just think of that image, though, contrasting from upright to looking straight down right here. Contrast that looking down at my feet as if I'm saying, I just need to look at this next decision right here. That's all I have to look at is what's happening right now at this moment. Because when I'm looking right now at this moment, you know what's happening? I want what I want uh -huh, right now. And I want it right now. I want what I want and I want it fast, and I want it right now. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about how this could impact me next week or next year. I want what I want right now. And you understand what kind of trouble I could get in for doing that. In fact, my book, my journal, I, I, I told you this two weeks ago, my journal, in fact, it doesn't take much for, my, for, for you to begin to realize that my life, oh my goodness, I've got some mistakes in my life. In fact, I've got some things in my life that I'm just embarrassed to talk about because I was looking at just the right now. So if you want to talk about fire britches, oh, yeah, this is my journal. This is my life. The message, what, what would happen if liars' pants really did catch on fire? Huh? <laughs> we know this, the world would be a lot brighter. <laughs> and it would smell like bacon, I quite imagine. Because <laughs> that's me. If I walk too fast and I wear corduroy, that's, that's what happens. <laughs> so you see sparks and it smells like bacon. So I don't know. It's just, I know, it's horrible. <laughs> It's horrible. So anyway, I'm sorry, I digress. So here's Solomon giving us this picture. If, if I'm looking at right now, only right now, this step right in front of me, I, I, this is what I want right now. I don't care about tomorrow. Then I have a tendency 
most often to ignore that nudge that is in my life that God has already written there. And so that ought to, that is written inside of you and inside of me, that is written, it comes from outside of me because it's the hand of God and it rules over me because I feel it when I don't pay attention to it. There's tension. It rules over me, but it can guide my decisions and it can guide your decisions. So here we are. If we have this guide that Solomon says we have and that Paul, the right, one of the writers in the new covenant says that we have, if we have this guide and we do, here's my question. Why don't we write better life stories? Oh man. Why don't I? If I have that guide, and indeed I do, why don't I write a better life story? Why do I have the mess, the hot mess that you just saw? Why do I have that so frequently in my story? You know, I, I would like to be the hero in my story. And I, and I feel by using that word, I, I need to explain it. I mean, the real hero in my story the real hero in my story is always Jesus. It is for me because I came to the place in my life where I submitted my life to Jesus. I said, Jesus, because you died on the cross for my sins, I want to submit my life. I want to give my life to you, make you my boss. And I can only do that because of the grace that was involved in him going to the cross. So it is by grace alone. It is nothing I have done. If it was up to me to get connected with God and to find myself in an eternal relationship with him, I would never be able to do it because I'm a fire britches guy. It's by grace alone. And it's also in faith alone because I chose to have faith that Jesus, what you did on the cross, only you could do. You, God, dying on the cross for me and for my friends and for my family and for the whole world. That I have faith that what you did included me, that you are who you said you are, and that you would do what you said you would do. I have faith in you. I don't have faith in me. Because remember, I'm fire britches. I'm going to let you down. But because I've done that, Jesus is the hero of my story, and he always is. But you know what? I still, I, I, I don't want to be the villain in my story. I want to be that supporting actor. They can be heroic too, right? They can, they can have a good story. I could have a good story. And, I, and God has placed some things inside of me that, that could be part of that story. And I could win in life through his help and under his guidance. I could. But I could also miss that. And I could end up being the villain in my story. But I want to be a hero. Not to usurp Jesus at all by any means. I want to be the supporting character. I want to do the best that I can. But so often I end up being the villain. And here's why. Because so often in my life, and maybe you can relate to this as well, so often I find myself with that posture that's twisted, crooked, and I'm looking at just that one step, that one moment that one opportunity. Oh, man. 
in that moment, I'm only thinking about right now. And in one sense, what I'm wanting is the wow. I want the wow, and I want it now. Here's when I find myself struggling. I'm going to talk about this more, and you may relate to this. Something inside of me is also there. I have a good idea who wrote it. Something inside of me is also there, and it says, Harley, you're hungry right now. Harley, you're lonely right now. Harley, you're bored right now. In other words, Harley, right now, you could do something about that. Right now, you could take care of that. And when my appetites began shouting at me from the rooftops, now, take care of it now, man, I, I got to tell you, it is so difficult to think about tomorrow and to think about how this might impact me down the road a year from now, years from now, next week or tomorrow. It, it's so difficult to look down the road because I'm crooked down here looking right now. It's so difficult because I want it now. And now is all in my face. It's all I see. When we're hungry, it's hard to eat healthy, right? When we're lonely, it's hard not to call that person, right? The person we don't need to be calling. When we're bored, it's hard not to click on that. It's hard not to go to that place. Because appetites are so very strong. In fact, so often, it is my appetite that actually determines the direction and the quality of my story. My appetite does that so often more than my integrity does. Think about it. Either I control my appetites or my appetites are going to control me. Either we master them or they are going to master us. Either you rule them or they will rule you. Even for those of us who have chosen, I don't ever assume that everyone here has chosen to be a follower of Jesus. Some of you are just investigating that, and we want to encourage you, continue investigating, keep coming, keep, keep participating, keep being in a small group with us. Continue that. Continue investigating the claims of Jesus. But some of you this morning have already said, yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to make him my boss. I'm going to follow him. I'm doing this Jesus thing. I'm committed to it. But I want you to know this. Even for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, our appetites have not. And they are not in. They are not in with this deal of following Jesus. Because our appetites, even if we're following Jesus, our appetites can still have control of us and they can still direct our story, the quality and the direction of our lives because of our appetites. Our appetites do not care that we've chosen for those who have to follow Jesus. They don't care. We still have our appetites. 
and they still have the potential to direct me. They still have the potential to tempt me. Do you realize this is so important? We can believe the right thing. We can come Sunday after Sunday, small group after uh, small group, and we can believe the right thing, agree with the right thing. We can believe the right thing and still do wrong. Because our appetites move us in a specific direction. Now, here's where I'm going to get honest with you. Do you know when I am most, this is Harley, you may relate to this. I hope you do. Do you know when I, maybe we, are most susceptible to being uh, directed by our appetites? When I am physically tired. When I am emotionally worn out. My appetite that has easy access to me. When I am mentally under stress or under pressure, I better watch out. My appetites can jump in and control me quickly. Maybe if things aren't going well at work or maybe things aren't going well at home, we have to be careful. We have to watch out. And here's one that is applied to me for the last eight weeks. When I'm in pain, when I'm in physical pain, I got to watch out. I can't tell you how many times, uh, you know, my wife's going to see it on the credit card statement. I can't tell you how many times I went to McDonald's last week. Didn't have to get out of the car, ordered on my phone. When I'm in pain, my appetites have easy access to the direction of my life. And it is in those times that we are so especially susceptible to giving in to our appetites. Our appetites are constantly, all the time, battling for control of our lives. And it's battling with this thing that we're talking about in this series. It's battling with integrity. Our appetites desire to take the wheel of our lives and direct us and to steer us. Our appetites want to take the pen we're using to write our story, and it wants to write for us. We walk around with that constant tension every single day. So, what will we say in our lives? Will we say no to an appetite to protect our integrity? Or will we say no to integrity to satisfy an appetite? We're going to say no to one to protect the other, or we're going to say yes to one, or I'm sorry, we're going to say no to one to satisfy the other. Let me give you a couple of truths about appetites, because I, I, we, we can't just hammer on them. Here's the first truth, and, and maybe the only good one in this. With our appetites, God actually created our appetites. So it's not the appetite that's wrong. God created our appetites, but here's what happened. He actually placed those appetites in our very DNA and structure of our lives. But the problem is, we, since the Garden of Eden, we have distorted our appetites 
See, by his design, appetites are necessary, and they're necessary for life. But we have taken those appetites, and we've distorted them. That's the first truth I want you to know about appetites. Here's the second one. An appetite is never fully or finally satisfied. And think of any appetite you have, whether it's inside of a relationship, whether it's inside uh, uh, of a restaurant, <laughs> doesn't matter. An appetite is never fully and finally satisfied. I mean, you may be uh, satisfied for a moment, but that moment doesn't last because you're going to be hungry again. You're going to be starving for something again, right? It satisfies it for just a moment, but it's never finally and fully satisfied. It's coming back at you again. That's an appetite. All right, here's the next thing. The third thing I want you to know about appetites. An appetite is constantly whispering to us, do it now. Get it now. Have it now. It never whispers to us, maybe later. Maybe do that further down the road. Maybe another day, another time. No, 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 no. It whispers right now, every time. Because our appetites are driven by the now. And Solomon, what he wrote 3,000 years ago that we just read a moment ago, that is still true for us today. And when our appetites have the wheel of our lives, we are not concerned about tomorrow. We're not concerned about how this might impact us next week or next year. No, 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 no. Only right now. What do I want now? You know, all, not all of our appetites are bad things. We already said God placed them inside of us after all. But an appetite still has the potential to give us a push. And a good appetite can push you towards some good things if we haven't twisted it. A good appetite, uh, let's say for achievement, if we don't twist that appetite of achievement, if we use it the way God designed it, well, maybe it just makes us to work hard for maybe a few extra hours to dig in and, and work hard. Maybe it, uh, maybe it uh, kind of drives us to do a few extra reps at the gym before we leave. Huh? That's my problem all the time. Maybe it just causes us to, to do a little bit extra to move toward that achievement. An appetite for success can be okay if we don't twist it. It might drive us toward going back to school and working toward another certification or maybe a degree. It, it might uh, help us to go and, and, and hit that next level of advancement, adding some kind of endorsement, you know, and, and so we're at a better place in our career. Yeah, it could even cause you to consider a new career and, and leave the career you have and advance your life. And, and those aren't bad things. They can be good. But here's where the problem can emerge. When those desires get twisted and distorted the way the evil one wants them to be twisted and distorted in our life, then we, with those very desires, can choose to sacrifice our integrity in order to get the result. And there is the problem. When those appetites, when we lose sight of the future in order to satisfy the right now. That's when it's a problem. Have you ever done something uh, that integrity was guiding you uh, away from? 
It was trying to move you and nudge you in another direction. Your integrity was. Maybe you had a desire uh, of uh, uh, getting in a better relationship, a better position with your boss. And integrity is saying, no, 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 oh, 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 whoa, 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 no, 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 watch out, watch out, watch out. But then your desire to advance gets twisted, it gets distorted, and maybe you do something against your integrity so that you could advance. Hey, listen, work advancement, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But it's not a good thing if our appetite is driving it in a twisted way, that desire. Maybe we're overlooking some kind of safety concern because we know we could get the job done faster if we ignore that, if we don't follow that checklist, you know, lock in, lock out. I don't know how it works. If we, if we, if we choose to do something different than the way that, that has been told to us, and this is a safe way to do it, we say, I can really do it faster if I skip that step. Or maybe, maybe we overlook something. Uh, we want better advancement in a job or in, in something we're doing. And so maybe we don't tell someone the whole truth. We just give them a piece of the truth. Because if they knew the other part, maybe they wouldn't want to advance us. So we just kind of tell them a little bit of the story so we can advance. In school, I, I had an appetite to make good grades. I wanted to make good grades, probably because I wanted to please somebody, and I need to talk to a psychiatrist about that, but I wanted to make good grades. I cared about what was on that report card. But if that appetite to get that good grade and to, and to, to meet that, if it causes me to plagiarize a paper and turn in someone else's work and put my name on it, well, I've twisted that appetite, and I've listened to the right now, the right now, regardless of what is happening down the road. You see, sometimes sacrificing our integrity may be the quickest way to advance in something. Sacrifice your integrity. No one's going to know, and we can advance. Because if we try to do it the way that integrity is nudging us and demanding that we do it, asking that we do it, well, that could slow down the progress. It could take us a whole lot longer to do that. You see, often the quickest route to success is not the most ethical route. And having integrity, we talked about this last week, it might cost me something. I might lose out on what I really, really want. It may cost. I might miss something good because I've chosen the integrity route. But in that moment, I have a decision to make. In that very moment, I have a decision to make. Will my integrity be my guide? Will I be upright about it? Will I be looking forward, looking down the road, looking to see how this could impact me? Or will I just be looking at right now? I have a decision to make. Am I walking upright? Am I understanding that this life and this decision is connected to many things down my road? Or am I just saying, no, it's not connected. It's just connected to right now, making me happy right now, just giving me what I want right now. Am I only focused on now to satisfy my 
appetite in this moment. See, we're not writing our stories alone. We have help writing our story. And either we're getting that help from the resurrected Jesus and his spirit, or we're allowing our appetite to write our story. And when our appetite is writing the story, guess who's holding the pen? It's not me. I would say it's the evil one because he's the one that's helping me distort those appetites. But as with most things, this is not new information. This is just kind of catching us up for today. So the dilemma that we're facing, every person that has ever lived is facing this dilemma. It's including all the people that we have recorded in Scripture where we have their biographies listed for us that we can read about in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Paul experienced what we're talking about. We said that Solomon experienced what we're talking about. But so did another person named Esau and Jacob. And we're going to talk about them a little bit this morning. These are real people. They actually live. This is a piece of history. Real characters. They were writing their story just as we are writing ours. And we actually get to read part of their stories because it has been provided for the world in the Old Covenant. We're going to take a look at it in a moment. But we're going to be talking about being guided by integrity, walking upright, living like life is connected. And that's not always easy, especially when an appetite gets in the way. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So I want to give you some context um, to the narrative that we're going to be looking at, the biography today. Um, and I want you to take a look at a picture Bryce is going to put up on the screen. Um, we took this out of our children's uh, uh, curriculum. And so I want to kind of catch you up. If you notice here, I'm going to have to bend over and look. Um, we start over on the uh, far left with creation, and it goes all the way down. And you'll notice down at the bottom of that, I believe, uh, let's see, right at the bottom of that first line as it goes down, that is Abraham, all right? So this is in the context of the, the big story, the big picture. We're going to be looking at right between Abraham. So we're going to be looking. So Abraham had a son, and his name was Isaac. Isaac then, so the son of Abraham, Isaac had twins, had twin sons. Does anybody know their name? I've already said it. Anybody say it? Yeah. How do we often say their names? Do we say Esau and Jacob, or do we most often say Jacob and Esau? Jacob and Esau, right? That's important. Remember that. That's what we usually say. So uh, Esau and Jacob are the grandsons of Abraham. Okay. So that's kind of where we are in history. Jacob and Esau. So we're between Abraham and then right up from Abraham, you'll see the line goes to Joseph. Okay. Joseph is one of the sons of the twins. All right. Now let, let's, let's bring it back down to this. That is the big story. So we have this set of twins, Esau and Jacob. And they were only separated by minutes, probably, the birth. 
by minutes. It's an interesting story, their birth. You should go and read that. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, so they're only separated by minutes. I know in the United States, the average is about 15 minutes between the birth of twins. We're not sure. They, it, the, the way the story reads, it sounds like they were pretty close. Um, maybe a little faster than that. But the order of their birth is very important. So with Jacob and Esau, the first one born was Esau. And, and 3,500 years ago, the birth order was a really big deal. Now, Cole, who was teaching here last week, happens to be the firstborn in his family. I'm teaching this week here. I was the last born in my family. Cole still believes that we should have birth order. <laughs> I believe, no, 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 not a good idea. <laughs> not a good idea. So, uh, and he, here's why that was so important. So it had great ramifications. The firstborn, even if it's by just a few minutes, doesn't matter, he was firstborn. The firstborn received this, what's called the birthright, all right? This is a big deal. Just because he was born a few minutes before Jacob, Esau had the birthright, which meant he got two-thirds of the inheritance. Everybody else born would have to then split the rest. The firstborn got two thirds of all the inheritance just because he happened to be born first. Secondly, this is huge. The firstborn got judicial authority over the family when the father died. Now, this is huge. Think Godfather. When dad dies, the firstborn got to decide everything for the entire family. It could settle disputes for the entire family, got to make all those decisions. Didn't matter that Jacob was born just minutes later. Uh uh uh. He would forever, for the rest of his life, have to report to Esau. Judicial authority. Here's the third thing that he got Esau got a special father's blessing. That would come later in his life, but that's what that belonged to him. Now, the oldest in our biography today, his name is Esau. And we're going to pick up the story here this morning. It's in Genesis chapter 5. I'm going to start with verse 27, and then we're going to kind of uh, read along with that. Um, I want to get this, this open so I can read along with you. Um, so the oldest, his name is Esau. We're in Genesis. And here we go, right here, Genesis chapter 25. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Now, don't mistake quiet temperament for pushover. <laughs> no, 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 no. Jacob, we will find, is no pushover. In fact, Jacob is is clever, and Jacob is calculating, and we're about to see that. Here we go, verse 28. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah, that's, that's uh, uh, Isaac's wife, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, we don't have to go any further to see in this moment, in this family, we already understand there is dysfunction in this family. And listen, this is one thing I love about our scriptures. God does not try to hide the failures and the dysfunction of his people. They're there. And here we see a huge dysfunction. These parents pitting the children against each other because of the favoritism. Verse 29, one day, 
when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted. Remember now, he is in a weakened emotional state, meaning his appetites are more dangerous right now. Specifically, Esau is not only exhausted, but the writer tells us that he's also hungry. He's exhausted and hungry. And that appetite for him right now is shouting so loudly. And it is ready and wanting to direct, to take the wheel of his life, the pen in his journal, and to write his story. It is ready to do it right now. Verse 30, Esau said to Jacob, he said, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. <laughs> Sounds delicious. What was it that Solomon said? The crookedness of the treacherous destroy them. In other words, that head gets bent down as if that head is bent down and we're looking at right now. That's all we can see is right now. We can't see further down the road. We can't see how this decision impacts those decisions and the direction of our life. It's right now. It's right now. It's right now. Give me some of that red stew. He can't see beyond the moment. His appetite has grabbed hold of his life. Esau is not concerned with tomorrow. He's not concerned with what could be happening further down the road. It's right now. It's this instant. But oh, Jacob, uh, Jacob the younger. <laughs> I joke, we have Jacob the elder here, and his son is Jacob the younger. And here we have now Jacob the younger brother. Oh, me. You know how negotiations work? I'm horrible at negotiations. In fact, at a yard sale, when Vanessa and I had our first yard sale together, I was selling something. I, had, I think I had like uh, uh, one thing listed at $15, and I had uh, uh, another thing listed uh, uh, for $15. It was, I don't know, a guitar and an amp. I can't remember. Obviously a quality guitar. <laughs> and, um, and they said, okay, that sounds good. I'll take it. And you know what I said? How about both of them for 20? Uh, um, I'm an idiot. I was, <laughs> I was disallowed any more negotiations <laughs> at the yard sale. Rightly so. So negotiations usually start way high. I mean, you shoot for the moon because you know you're not going to get the moon. You shoot for the moon knowing you've got room to wiggle down to something that will still be good, a good deal for you. And here we're going to see some awesome negotiating skills. Call me Esau. <laughs> I started reading Moby Dick again yesterday and it starts with call me Ishmael. We'll just call me Esau. Here's what happens. He says, give me some of that stew. And Jacob sees his chance, his opportunity as the younger son to shoot for the moon in this negotiation. And here's what he said. Jacob replied, okay, but uh, trade me your rights as the firstborn son. He shoots, for, right, it's, it's, it's laughable. He shoots for the moon. It's a dream amount. It's the jackpot. If I get this, it's like I won the lottery. I'm never gonna have to work a day in my life again. I get all the birthright. It would be a shoot for the moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what are the odds? What are the odds? Stew, 
for the birthright. Who's going to go for that? Who's going to say, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good deal. A bowl of stew for all the things that Esau gets just because Esau was a few minutes older. But guess what? Esau's appetites were holding the wheel. Esau's appetites had the pen and they were now beginning to write his story. Esau's tired. He's exhausted. He's hungry. He's emotional. And here's what he says in verse 32. Look, I'm dying of starvation. Can't you see? Has your appetite ever overinflated what was really happening? Me too. Yeah. Has your appetite ever made a bigger deal about what you were wanting right now than what it really was? Has it made it bigger, made it more likely that you're going to make an amazingly bad trade? Well, that's what happened here. Have you ever been so tired and exhausted that you just didn't care anymore? You just didn't care willing to trade your integrity for an appetite, willing to just, you just didn't have the, you just didn't have the willpower to, to do the right, to just hang in there and try. You just were tired, exhausted. And then have you ever been so angry that you tried to justify some things maybe you said in that anger? You tried to justify it. Have you ever, have you ever just tried, you know, cause when you're in that moment, yeah, you just, there are plenty of reasons why you should do right now. None of them are great, but there are plenty of reasons why you should. And you just justified this bad decision because you're only in the moment right now. You're thinking about right now. You're not thinking about what comes next. You're justifying a bad choice, a bad decision. And have you ever heard this phrase? Justifying is just a lying. Yeah. Just lying to yourself. Come on, we've done that, and we've heard that, and we've, we've done it. But the upright, come on, sit up straight. Look further down the road. Look ahead. Look, look what's coming down the road. They're guided by integrity. They see what is right. They see further down the road. They understand further down the road. Wow. Compared to that twisted and crooked view of just looking at right now, what I want right now, what I want right now. And well, for Esau, what he wanted right now, he wanted that stew. Have you ever noticed this about our appetites? So here's Esau with the stew. There it is. And there it goes. That long. That's how long, that's how long, I mean, there, there it is with any appetite. There it is. We got it. And then next moment, there it's gone. There it is. There it's gone. There it is. Whoop, there it goes. Wow. And what was waiting for Esau on the other side of the stew was a very different future than what he just had moments before. There's my birthright. There it goes. There's the stew. I got it. There it goes. Wow. And here's the tragedy. 
The tragedy of being guided by our appetites is the appetite is never satisfied. It is always hungry for more. And so is the story of Esau. Listen to what Esau says next. What good is my birthright to me now? This moment, right now. My birthright is for down the road when dad dies. What good is my birthright to me right now? He's looking at now. He doesn't care about what he's getting ready to trade. His appetite does not care. And it causes him to minimize the importance of what is down there. And he sacrifices it for right now. Oh, well, it's just a lousy birthright. What good is it doing me now? No good. Nothing. But there's that stew. No good to me now. I'm about to starve after all. Wow. Have you ever sold yourself on a really bad decision in a moment? And your appetites were screaming, go, do it, get with him, get with her, do that, make that decision, take that gain, take that, that luxury, whatever it is, do that now, go home with them, do this, call them, whatever it is the appetite says. And we make a really, really bad decision in that moment. And then we have to sell ourselves on it after it's over. We have to say, well, you know, I guess it's going to be okay. What good is uh, that's down there, down the road? Doesn't matter. We have to be a really good salesperson. And we try to sell ourselves that that decision was good. I was looking at it and it was now, and it was, you know, it was a good decision. Here's what, here's what it says. But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling his birthright as the firstborn to his brother, Jacob. Esau sold his birthright, sold his future for an appetite that he would be hungry for again in an hour. Wow. Esau said no to integrity in order to satisfy his appetite. Verse 34, then Jacob gave Esau some bread. <laughs> I guess he got a bonus. And lentil stew. And Esau ate the meal, then he got up and he left. It was all over that quick. There it is, there it goes. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. So now he's got to justify it. He's got to justify, minimize what he lost. Try to convince himself that it's no big deal. Everything changed for Esau at that moment. Everything was different. Everything changed. When it was over, Esau decided, it's over now, and he decided now, oh, I really don't care. It doesn't matter. That's no big deal. That's no big deal. It doesn't matter. Don't we always say that? It doesn't really matter when it's too late to matter. I've done that too. In fact, I've tried to create a new story in my life. It's really just a fantasy story. I'm justifying, you know, I'm just a line to myself. I've said things like, oh, I had no choice. I mean, what else could I have done? We've all said that. I had no choice. What else could I have done? There, there just wasn't any way around it. I, I had to. And for Esau, I was dying of starvation. 
I was so tired and irritable. I, I just couldn't stop myself. I couldn't help myself. And Denny, I'm out of time. I'm going to tell that story enough times. Eventually, I'm going to believe it. Eventually, I'm going to believe that that really was the case. But I'm just justifying. The next thing I know, I am now in my story. I'm living with a limp, and I created the limp. For the rest of my story, I'm going to have that limp. I can't get rid of it. And I created it. Wow. Just because I gave in and I was lying to myself about the results. See, this exchange between Jacob and Esau, as you read the story further, you're going to find out that it, it ripped their family apart. In the end, he did care. Esau did care in the end but it was too late. Our appetites are always going to compete with our integrity. We're either going to rule them or they are going to rule us every time. And this is so significant because what, like Esau, what we give up is irretrievable, but here's the good news. It is not unforgivable. Hence, back to my story. I have so many things that I regret, but I want you to know this. Because of the cross that Jesus died upon, and because it was Jesus, God himself, dying on that cross, big sections of my story have been forgiven. I can't get back what I lost, but I was forgiven. You see, it does not have to be the final chapter of my story. We said last week, if you are still breathing, and it appears you are, if you are still here, it appears you are, then your story has not been completed yet. It's not over. This doesn't have to be the final chapter. So here's where we go with all of this today. I want to ask you this question. Everybody here, I want to ask this question. With everything that we've talked about in this series last week, the week before that, and today, what is your bowl of stew? What is your bowl of stew? What is that thing for you that you have convinced yourself you can't live without? You'll starve if you don't get it. What is your bowl of stew? Who is that person in your life that is so difficult to say no to them? Because every time you say yes, you know you're going to get in trouble. You're going to move down that road you don't want to go. Who is that person? What is it in your life that other people around you are saying, no, 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 don't, 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 don't. That's not a good idea. Don't, don't spend your money on that. Is that too much? Please wait back. Hold, hold on, hold on. Who are those people that are trying to help you protect your story, but you're not listening to them? You see, because right now you're lonely or you're emotional or you're scared or you're tired or you're in pain. Can I give you some friendly advice? 
You see, whatever it is in your life that you're really wanting and everyone around you is saying, Harley, are you sure that's a good idea? Do you really need that right now? Do you need that much? Are you sure that's the right way to handle that relationship, that decision? Again, this is just friendly advice. You can do whatever, obviously, whatever you want to do. But I'm asking you, that tension that you feel as you get defensive when someone who really cares about you is saying, wait, 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 slow down. Is this really right? Is this it? And that nudge that's inside of you that's saying, whoa, 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 you really ought not. You maybe shouldn't. This week, I'm just simply asking you, will you pay attention to that tension? Because it's not by chance. In fact, that tension is by God's design. If you're currently selling yourself on a bad idea because your appetites have the steering wheel, have the microphone, and they're yelling into your life, then just stop. If that's what's happening, don't make a decision yet. Just stop. Because you might not have an idea. If you're looking at right now, you might not have an idea of what you're sacrificing down the road in the future if you chase after that appetite today. So here's what we're asking you to decide. Will you decide that I am not going to trade what I value most for something I have an appetite for now. Don't trade your future for a bowl of stew. Let's pray. God, I am so grateful. I am so grateful that that my life and the many chapters in my story that I have written with the help of my appetites God, I'm so grateful that those have been forgiven. That your scripture tells us that they have been nailed to the cross and they have died there with Jesus. The price has been paid by my Savior. And God, I have lost some things. They are irretrievable. I can't get them back because I was looking at right now. But I'm so thankful, Jesus, they are not unforgivable. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, it is because you died on the cross for us and you rose again three days later and that you have called to us and said, follow me. And those who have chosen to listen, that is why we can worship you right now. And we do that in song this very moment right now. May these words, Jesus, be our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.